Uh, I've decided. No, I've decided that uh, my aesthetic is going to be otaku punk. Otaku punk. Otaku punk. Ooh, I like. Yeah, so it's like uh, like a punk aesthetic, except it's all neon colors, and instead of bands, I'm going to put comic patches of like comics that I like. Welcome everybody to the Trade Waiters. Uh, today's episode is going to be "Broken Telephone" by Ryan Estrada and a long list of accomplices. Mm-hmm. Um, before we get into the book, uh, we need to do two things. First, is that there will be a spoiler warning. <laughs> We're gonna have to come up with an official sound. No, I think point. everyone has to have their own official sound, and we have to rotate. Okay, that's that, okay. Uh, so the, the spoiler alert is that uh, we are assuming you have already read this book, and since it's available as an ebook for pretty cheap on the internet, there is no reason for you not to have read this book. Yeah, but I especially want to call out that the fact that it's being serialized actively in a webcomic right now, we are going to spoil the end of the comic. Yeah. So if you're only a fan of the webcomic version of Broken Telephone right now, wait until it gets to its end before listen to this podcast or by the ebook. Yeah, or get your act together and just yeah. put the five dollars down. If you've been what, reading it this long, it's worth it. What, just get to the what, end. Why are they doing a webcomic? What's the point? You can just buy it. It's fun. <laughs> Some people don't have five dollars. It's true. It's accessibility. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. Uh, all right. So the other thing we're going to do is we're going to start with our character revealing questions since you may or may not know who we are. Uh, today's character revealing question is going to be uh, since we're all artists, uh, my question is going to be, what art tool do you have the hardest time living without? So we can all draw with all sorts of things. There's things we prefer to draw with, things that it doesn't matter so much. What's the one tool that if you didn't have that tool suddenly, you would be in trouble? And you'd be scrambling to find anything that's even remotely as good as that. Uh, everyone else looks confused. I'm going to start with myself for this one. Good. Okay. Uh, I'm going to say that the tool I can, uh, I would have the hardest time living without would be my mechanical pencil. And I can change. You? Oh. Yeah, who are you? Wait, who is this man? Sorry. Uh, I'm Jonathan Dalton, and I can't live without a mechanical pencil. Oh, you scooped my answer, did you? <laughs> I, could, I could use different tools for inking, I could use different tools for coloring, I could live without a scanner. Can't live without that pencil. It's got to be that pencil. I only have one of them. Anytime that pencil dies, it's like the end of the world. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta agree. I'm Angela Mellick, and uh, it's funny because I feel like I could live without pretty much everything. Like I can make comics with whatever. Like I could switch up my paper. I could switch up my tools. I can go digital. I can go analog. A stick and dirt. I could do comics in a stick and dirt. It'd probably be a pretty big comic, I think. <laughs> but uh, the mechanical pencil is definitely the one that would cause me the most irritation if I didn't have it. And it's, I use this. I'm the same way. I'm very attached to the type of pencil that I use. It is. Uh, a thick mechanical pencil, 0.07, <laughs> with HB lead. Okay, 0.05 doesn't work for me. It's too small. Really, it I has to. It has to be 0.05 HB. You guys work dark. I work yes. in 2H. Wow. Yeah, well, I do a 4H underdrawing. Yeah. Okay. Before my before oh, my HB. Interesting. I do everything in 2H. <laughs> wow. uh, but in like 
uh, regular old sharpening pencil. Ah, yeah. Um, so that that's my tool. Oh, mm-hmm. I'm Kathleen, and I <laughs> I don't work as dark as they do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, um, I think I could pretty much live like work on anything. Um, like I switch up my material. I used to switch up my materials fairly often, so I feel like there's nothing I would be devastated if I couldn't work with it. Yeah. And you okay. do comics and embroidery, so I think that's fair. I have not done <laughs> comics and embroidery. Well, hmm, I guess you could argue that technically a triptych is sequential Animals art. in deliberate sequence. <laughs> <laughs> Juxtaposition. There you go. All right. Um, I'm, uh, I'm Jeff Ellis, and uh, I, I guess at this point I'd have to say I can't live without my Cintiq, but um, that's not really true. Unless but Cintiq would like to send me uh, another Cintiq, <laughs> and then I would happily endorse their product. But um, actually, I would uh, I would say, um, despite the fact that I've mostly been switched over to digital, uh, when I do draw uh, manually, or analog, I should say, um, I think the tool that I would miss the most is my Pentel brush pen. Uh, I am huge on doing your inks with a brush, and uh, the pencil brush pen is my best portable means of inking with a brush without having to set up a big tub of water and a jar of ink and you know a, a roll of brushes. Um, so I think that's the one tool that I would I would really miss if I didn't have it. Okay, uh, I, I would like to that. apologize to all the listeners who don't make art because you didn't understand any of what we just said. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe learn something new. <laughs> About big mechanical pencils. Three pencil four H versus two B versus three H. <laughs> Maybe they just learned that there's no right way to do art. Oh. <laughs> Okay, uh, Angela, would you like to introduce today's book? Yeah, certainly. So I nominated the book for this week's podcast, and it is called Broken Telephone, and it is by uh, a cartoonist named Ryan Estrada. And he did this book in a really interesting way. So full disclosure, uh, I am a backer of the Kickstarter that launched this book. So Ryan Estrada, I tried to look up an official bio for him, but he's very, hmm, he's what can I say? He has done a lot of stuff, absolutely, but I couldn't find like a concise bio for him of okay. like, I was born in Cincinnati and when I was 15, blah, blah, blah. Not that it really even matters. Ryan Estrada is a really interesting guy whose work I've been following for quite a number of years. And he kind of describes himself as a cartoonist adventurer, which I think is a title that he has learned. He's lived all over the world and he's done a really wide variety of things and he's cataloged his adventures in a lot of different ways. Some of the stories he's told in his comics, uh, one that I would recommend if you want to check out his adventure comics is uh, The Bear from the Bear and The Beach from the Beach. (laughs) Uh, He writes really funny stories that are true and about his life. And uh, lately he seems to have settled into Seoul, Korea, and he's been moving more into writing and more entrepreneurial type uh, adventures with his work. Some of his uh, larger graphic novels are The Aki Alliance, and uh, The Kind You Don't Take Home for Mother. But I think his most popular work is probably a short comic he did called How to Read Korean in 15 Minutes or Less. <laughs> and it's a, it's, I've seen it float around a lot. It's a great little comic that teaches you how to deconstruct uh, the Korean alphabet. Which is a really well-constructed alphabet. That yes. is like, as someone who's <laughs> taking linguistics, that is the best alphabet, hands down. Yeah, so Korea, <laughs> A plus on your alphabet. The, the guy who created the Korean alphabet has a 
palace where his statue is enshrined, and you can visit that in Korea still. Wow. <laughs> I think his face is on the money. I mean, to be fair, I think he was the emperor of okay. Korea too, which also grants you a few, you know, points for statues and you know, okay. castles and such. The shapes such. of the letters match the shapes your mouth makes when you make those sounds. Yeah, yeah, it's how in- <laughs> how incredible is that? Great alphabet, uh, but Ryan Estrada. So uh, this work in particular is also really innovative, both in its business model and its construction. So Ryan wrote all of the chapters in this book. He wrote it start to finish. Then he broke it into 18 distinct chapters. Uh, and he went out and sourced his own artists. So quite often, uh, writers will clown around and like, uh, you, I wrote this book, you work for, work for free and draw my thing. But he actually runs a Twitter called For Exposure Text where he exposed- Oh, is that him? Yeah, yeah, he runs For Exposure Text where he calls out uh, Poor, poor agents who try to exploit artists and get their work for free. So he actually did his legwork, did his homework, found artists whose talent exceeds their popularity, so to speak, and paid them fairly, hired them for this work. Then he raised the funds to pay them through Kickstarter uh, and launched this to the world independently. It is not available in print. It is digital only, but he runs his own distribution. And uh, now it is being serialized on the web. It's also on Comixology. Yep. Um, where else is it available on the web? Um, I, if I believe Hiveworks posted themselves. Okay. So you can buy it directly from Hiveworks or from Comixology, and I believe those are the two places, probably the only two places you can get it. Maybe. Okay. Hmm. If you Google Broken Telephone Comic, I'm sure you can find what's there. Yeah, absolutely. Google Ryan Estrada or Broken Telephone, and it's very easy to get. Okay. And, and also follow the For the Exposure Twitter feed. Uh, it's <laughs> wonderful and horrible all at the same time. Sometimes it gets I, a little depressing. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I did too. I was like, this is too real. <laughs> I, I'm a huge fan of Ryan Estrada, and I had to like tweet him an apology. It's like, I can't follow this anymore. I'm sorry. It makes me too sad. <laughs> I see it retweeted all the time. That's the, that's the right amount of yeah, so uh, one last thing before we start into the discussion, I wanted to explain a bit about the structure of Broken Telephone, because it, it is it is also really interesting, not only in its business model, but in its structure as a narrative. So each of the 18 chapters follows, uh, well, I should say it follows a chain of events. So it starts out with one character, and in the next chapter, it jumps to the villain of that previous character's story and takes on the villain's perspective. And then the following chapter is the villain of that chapter. And it basically chains through this process where each chapter is following the villain from the previous chapter. And you get this sense of the overall narrative only once you've read quite a bit of this work. Yeah, the introduction says everyone is the hero of their own story and the villain of someone else's. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a, a really interesting way to approach a work. Mm-hmm. So first impressions or overall impressions? Sure. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed this book. Um, I don't read a lot of like digital, digitally released comics. I mean, I read a lot of web comics and stuff, but if I'm gonna be really honest, I I don't like reading comics on a screen. I make comics for the web, and that's pretty much almost exclusively where you can find my work. But I just I don't like the experience of reading on a screen. However. I found that Broken Telephone um, works really well on a screen because it's clearly made to be seen on a screen. The dimensions for each page is the dimensions of a screen, so you're not like scrolling down on a page. You can just hit like the down button and it flips you to the next page, and it's really nice. Whereas 
you know, um, I actually was like, this is really smart, I need to think about this for my next project, because all of my comics pages, you have to, like, scroll down to read them, and it's not actually the best reading experience. Um, so, for a digital comic, I found this was a really enjoyable reading experience as someone who doesn't like reading digital comics. Um, I also found that, like, each chapter is like, oh, oh, this artist, oh, I like Rachel Dukes, oh, oh, Brittany Sabo, oh, what, Maya Kern's in here? Like, <laughs> it was all these artists that I follow and, and really enjoy their work, and I didn't realize they were in this book, so it was, like, a little treat every every chapter. I was like, oh, yes, you're great. Oh, you're doing a great job here. This is great. <laughs> and it was, like, funny, too. Like, it's it's a book about murder, but there's some really great humorous points. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. um, the, the scene where, um, the escaped convict is, like, being attacked by sharks, and he's like, no, I'll get through this by, like, half-remembering BuzzFeed articles. Yeah. <laughs> like, that was I really funny. About this. <laughs> I, I can't die, I need to blog about it! <laughs> Facebook will not be my legacy! <laughs> oh, yeah. That's, well, I think that touches on something else that I really took from this, is, um, this just felt really fresh and modern. You know, um, like, I mean, I have been shifting over to reading things on my iPad a lot more. And so this was kind of like a nice treat to read something that was specifically tailored for the iPad experience. Because definitely um, the Marvel comics, you know, they're more still in that portrait format. They're not really meant for that unless you go into the, the guided view mode. Uh, and like even the web comics I make, I'm still making them with the idea of print in mind, so they they have that weird scrolling aspect. So it was, it was really nice to just read something uh, formatted for the screen. And like you, know, recognizing all the names, uh, like Rachel Dukes. I like hanging out with Rachel Dukes at conventions, so it was really cool to just see that she did that first chapter. Um, so a lot of the same things, a lot of the same feelings as you as you had. But uh, to me, like just the plot lines. I mean. There's uh, a cell phone call center right at the beginning. Uh, you've got people dealing with social media. There's uh, the second chapter is dealing with airport security. Um, you know, just the list goes on. Like it's all very like contemporary references. You've got like people with like an internet following, and there's like a hashtag uh, associated with them, and they're like assisting in this rebellion in this small country. Uh, the end. At the very end, the guys like getting recorded by people on their cell phones, but then the battery runs out, so only part of what he says ends up put, put on YouTube, no, but that's was, enough to vilify him. It was him. a vine. It was, he was like, filming was a, vine. a vine. That's right, it was a vine. That's right. So he goes into this huge diatribe, and he opens with, uh, it's like, rawr, I'm the bad guy, everybody hates me, that's what you want me to say, and he goes into this really eloquent monologue, and he's like, did you get all that? He's like, well, it was a vine, so I got the first six seconds. Yeah. Rawr, I'm the bad guy, rawr, I'm the bad guy. Yeah, that's right, that's right. Yeah, it's just... All of those references, it's just... Um, this is the world I, we live in. Well, I mean, I guess, like, I, I, I got really immersed in this one. Like, this one I really just had to sit down and read almost all in one sitting. Um, and uh, I just thought, at the end of it, I thought, you know, this is a comic where I could give this to someone five years ago or ten years ago, and they would just be lost. They'd be like, what is this crazy world? Like, what a weird science fiction universe you're presenting to me. None of this makes any sense, you know? Uh, like, all of this is just so contemporary. Uh, and I, I was just impressed by that. On the same note, I hope that it ages well. Yes. Because this is, like, a really enjoyable comic and really great writing. I just really hope that that ages well. I think uh, 
because it's about right now, I think it probably will. Because people will understand, oh, this is about like 2015 approximately. Like the technology will no longer be relevant. The re they might not get all the references, but um, as a story about a specific place and time, I think this does a really good job of uh, portraying that with, without being too invested in it too, where it shows as many of the flaws in the technology and the culture as it does the advantages. Where yeah, you can have a monologue in an airplane and the whole world will see it because it's going to be on the internet. But downside is it's a vine, so only sees it for a second, for <laughs> six seconds, and it's not actually an accurate portrayal of events. No one is verifying the information, and yeah. you know, it's like suddenly two teenagers can be a source and a verification of a source. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like it's it's very uh, very conscious of. Um, the connotations of the technology, not just the mm -hmm. fact of the technology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It, it just, like, it gets into how the technology enables this stuff to happen, really. Mm -hmm. that, 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 like, you know, yeah, you can have these two people with, like, an iPad recording their video and then disrupting the airport with a terrorist threat. And, you know, it all, you follow that logic and it's all just fits exactly with the way we've got our things structured, you know? Well, ultimately, too, it's about the characters. Mm -hmm. These are characters that you can find in any time and place, but uh, the the things that they feel, the things that they experience, just happen to fit together because of their setting. Um, like, one of the things I liked about it, I liked how sort of on top of the technology and the current culture it is. Uh, I think that's something that's really useful as a story. Uh, I think... The fact that it's a comic that's self-published, that's distributed on the internet, is a huge shortcut to get this story told now. Whereas if this was a screenplay, it would be sitting on desks for five years. It would be <laughs> written by someone who hasn't actually done all these things themselves. Uh, it would be approved and edited by people who don't know what they're talking about, who are probably too old to know what a vine is. And um, you wouldn't get the same experience at all. So mm -hmm. I, I really appreciate the the so the short circuit of story to audience. Yeah. Mm -hmm. on, on a similar note, I think, uh, Kathleen, you mentioned that you were worried that it wouldn't age well. I'm not even sure that's Ryan's concern. Ryan is very interested in, well, sorry, from my perspective of following Ryan's work, he is very interested in short-circuiting the existing paradigm and uh, taking advantage of what is true right now. He was switched his business model up five or six different times, you know? Like, he'll just be continuously, all right, what's next, what's next? And if he's finished this thing, and it exists now, and it gets the appreciation that he needs now, I think he'd be okay with it, perhaps not making sense in five years, or not making as much sense. So to be able to capitalize on such a, a brief and fleeting moment and get it uh, out into the world where it can resonate is really something very special about also, the world we live in. Uh, I also really like how critical it is of sort of the global um, structure that we live in, where the first setting that we see is a call center in India. Mm -hmm. uh, how many people get calls from India that are unsolicited and then ne don't necessarily walk out of that situation with good feelings about call centers in India, but these are our protagonists. The closest thing we have to a hero in this story is a woman who works in this call center, where she does her absolute best to save this little boy who's in, uh, halfway around the world. And it works, and she saves him. And she ends up being the villain of, in someone else's story as well, because that's the way it works. But the fact that 
he's chosen these people as his uh, quote-unquote heroes, I think that is really powerful. I think that's really important. That uh, And it works both ways, too, because we have this um, ambassador who's obviously well-to-do, and he's representing the U.S. government, and he's still, he's doing his best. He's trying to do what's right. Uh, he can only work with the circumstances he's given, but he's not better than the people who work in the call center. He's not necessarily smarter than the people who work in the call center. He's just in a different situation in life. And he ends up being someone else's villain, but he's also doing his best to be a hero. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting how often uh, the villain role was subverted in this work. Mm, and so, the hero role, too. The hero role as well, definitely, yeah. So quite often someone is painted as the hero, you know, they're the rebel, and then it's subverted, and actually they're just this naive disaster tourist, right? And mm -hmm. so, or <laughs> someone is painted as the mean prison guard, the way that they're described in the previous chapter, and then you go to that chapter, and it's actually this inept person who was conscripted in this mandatory service and doesn't want to be a prison guard at all, and was <laughs> really bad at it. So I thought it was a really interesting. Uh, the quote that you mentioned at the beginning, everyone is a hero in their own story and a villain in someone else's, it mm -hmm. really takes that premise home. Yeah. And uh, the way that the title works in as well. So, oh, Broken yeah. Telephone. Um, maybe there are people who haven't played this game on planet Earth? Possibly. <laughs> but it's a game where you uh, whisper a phrase to the person next to you and it goes around in a circle. And by the time it gets back to the original person, it's complete mumbled garbage, right? It's completely <laughs> incomprehensible. And so it takes that theme where it's like the, the narrative thread kind of gets jumbled as you go along and everyone has a different interpretation of the same events. And it also has a broken telephone in it as a plot device. Yeah, <laughs> you know, there is one. an actual broken telephone. And there's, a, there's a few, I think. Yeah, and it's just a, a really fascinating spin. I just love this. So yeah, so my overall <laughs> impressions, obviously. <laughs> I'm a huge Ryan Estrada fan because I think he's just a really fascinating person who's lived a really fascinating life and brings fascinating texture to his work. I think this was... I had been sold on this book, obviously, at the Kickstarter stage before reading even a single page, just based on his work, based on how he brought it together and the lineup, and even I was blown away. I thought Ryan has really leveled up with this work. Uh, oh, yeah. His writing, especially, just really sparkled. The dialogue was so mm -hmm. sharp throughout, mm -hmm. and a lot of the artists. So I, some of the ones I wrote down here, as you said, Rachel Dukes, Brittany Sabo, uh, one of my favorites, Amanda Lafrenet, has a really yes. wonderful chapter in this book. Will Kirby, I thought, did one of my favorite chapters. Carolyn Nowak, Ghost Green, and Casey Green. There's a, a really wide variety of styles in this book. I feel like everyone is going to find a chapter they absolutely love artistically. I yeah. Think, oh, Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, Andrew. I was going to say, I, I think that that's, that's worth pointing out, too, is, is every chapter, because it's a different artist, it's not even uh, in the same kind of style. Like, you'll get really, really hyper-detailed, like, you know, uh, almost photorealist uh, pages, and then the next chapter would be like a uh, almost, almost like stylized uh, kind of you know cartoon character uh, Sunday comic style. Uh, so it's it's just yeah, it, it it still holds the narrative line even though the the art styles keep jumping around. Yeah, I actually had a question about you guys, uh, not about you guys, for you guys, you folks. Um, one question that I like to consider with like. Um, stories and comics that make a deliberate choice like that, like having different artists for each chapter, is how does the form serve the meaning? So, like, what, how do you think that, like, the, um, the form of having different artists illustrating each chapter serves the overall meaning of the story or the narrative? Um, 
if you think at all. I, I have my own, like, idea of that, but I don't know. I don't know. I think um, that might be the only negative thing I would say about this book, is the switch from one chapter to the next is very jarring. Like, I know that it, it fits the premise, and it's great to see all these different artists, but uh, it's a big mental jump to make from one chapter to the next. I kind of... Uh, my, like, one nitpicky thing is that the um, color can often be a way to, like, bring everything together, and mm. sort of the way that the comic was covered, colored throughout the um, whole book was really different, depending on the chapter, and uh, the color scheme wasn't always, like, cohesive between chapter to chapter. Like, going from the call center to the call center again, it was cohesive, but, like, that to the airport to the thing, the, like, prison, um, and, like, all that... It just wasn't, it didn't seem like there was a conscious decision about how color was going to be used in this, but maybe that's just my interpretation and maybe there was a decision and I'm just not seeing it. I, I think those are, that's a valid point though, uh, because, you know, going back through this, actually, uh, I realized that there were some chapters where I hadn't realized I was seeing a character that was showing up later because the style is just so different, you know, the, the, American uh, prisoner that escapes. Uh, and he changes his haircut at one point. His escape is drawn, I think, by yeah, it's drawn by Casey Green. So it's just very simple, stylized, and beautiful cartooning by Casey. But um, I think the next time he shows up, uh, it's this almost like anime kind of manga style with mm. a completely different feel to it. And even like the tattoo, like he has a tattoo on his back that says "Freedom." And when Casey Green does it, he just writes the words freedom across this guy's back. But then when he shows up in this in this chapter, it's like when freedom with this like Celtic ornate decoration. Which, I mean, okay, it is the man with freedom on his back, but it's a bit jarring. And, and I will say, I, I'm fairly certain um, that uh, the guy whose hand blows off... It's not uh, drawn his, consistently, his, is his it? His hand changes. Like, mm. he, when he shows up later with a stump, his stump is the opposite hand from the hand that the gun blew up that, in. That is the same character. That is the prisoner character. It gets bit off by a shark. And then in the manga chapter, it's his upper arm that's bound. And then in uh, Matt Cummings' chapter, his stump hand is completely bound. And then there is another character whose arm gets blown yeah. off. Oh, see, I so yeah, there are certain characters for whom the design stays a lot more consistent. I thought the uh, the dictator with the huge beard mm -hmm. that worked really well. Yes, um, the gecko, the stayed gecko pretty stayed consistent. Great. Even the call center woman, Manisha, yeah. Manisha stayed really consistent in her outfit and her you know her facial features. Mm -hmm. And I I just think the prisoner was probably the only one I had a hard time with. Even the chapter before Casey Green's where he was illustrated mm -hmm. considerably more muscular and gruff, and he had tattoos, but there were way more tattoos. So I do agree that the prisoner was the only one whose design didn't really work in this transition, but everyone else was a lot bolder. Yeah, it made me curious as to like how the um, creative process behind this book was, like what conversations were going on, and if uh, Ryan Estrada had like character sheets or like just descriptions, and it was just getting handed off. Um, yeah, I, I was just like really interested in the logistics of this project because it's quite ambitious and and very interesting. Yeah, I think they were all being created at the same time. Okay, yeah. So um, they didn't have the opportunity to rip off each other, and I do think that because of how it turned out in other chapters, I do think that direction was given, but perhaps some people were more liberal than others with design. But it's, we don't know. 
If I remember correctly, I might be wrong about this, but I think the first half was done basically simultaneously with the different artists, and the second half was also done simultaneously with the second half. Mm. Uh, I could have that wrong, I'm not sure. Mm. Uh, I did think, though, that uh, in terms of form, sorry, form following function, function following form, I forget which way. I mean, like, how does, ha- yeah, how does this form serve the meaning? Uh, I thought that even if it wasn't serving the meaning, it did remind me of the comics version of a mixtape. Mm. So if you think of a mixtape and how you pull together these songs under an umbrella of a theme or an emotion, and the songs are by very different artists and they could have very different tones, but you're bringing them all together because you feel like they resonate with what you're trying to say. That's what reading this book reminded me of. Yeah, no, despite having been the one to bring up this topic, uh, I do feel like if this had all been drawn by one artist, I don't think that would make it better. I don't think that would fit the story better or fit the theme better. So I think having like splitting it up and giving it to different artists was the right approach, for sure. You mm. definitely made it fun. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Visually, this book is so interesting. Like, each chapter, like, every cartoonist in it is so good and mm-hmm. really brings their own sort of flavor to it. I was reading it in the kitchen, and my roommate came up behind me and was like, oh, what are you reading? I was on, I think, uh, Will Kirby's uh, chapter, Kirby, yeah. um, and she's like, that looks really interesting. What are you reading? Can I read it next? Like, yeah. <laughs> so I will be lending it to her soon. Um, but yeah, it's just, like, really gorgeous. And neat to see each um, cartoonist's sort of interpretation of how they cartoon. Because um, it's um, very different. Like, uh, one, the first chapter that the gecko shows up in, the way that that um, cartoonist, whose name is escaping me, the way that they do the speech balloons and stuff and are paneling it is very different than um, other chapters, and it's just very neat to see them all sort of flex their cartooning muscles and just sort of show what they can do. Yeah. yeah. Irina Prietas. Yes. Uh, yeah, I really liked how um, they were doing speech balloons. Mm-hmm. I thought it was really interesting um, how time worked in this work. It took me a few chapters to understand, and I think it's even... Uh, Probably the most jarring one was the first chapter to the second chapter for me. It goes from the call center, and then as you go to the villains from uh, the little boy's story, mm-hmm. it actually jumps back in time. So not only are you jumping between all these narratives, you're jumping forward and backward in time. And that yeah. took me a while to pick up on uh, as you became familiar with all of these different narratives and how they work together. It was a little bit tough. I don't know if you guys... Had the same experience. No, I agree. Like, I <laughs> had to read it twice to really get how everything fit together. Mm-hmm. Because there's a scene at the end, which I really love. Like, this is basically where Manisha, the only point where Manisha is a villain at all is mm-hmm. where, and in the first chapter, I think it is, she is very busy trying to save somebody's life. And she's working in this call center, and there's all this pressure because her uh, superiors are expecting everything to happen quickly and on schedule, and they have to get there. What's it called? A-H-T. A-H-T. They have to get their A-H-T up. And she's not cooperating by wasting time trying to save someone's life. Uh, and so she gets this call at one point um, that's this annoyed American demanding his phone get um, put back in service. And, no, I don't have the name. I don't have the thing you need. Like, you need to help me right now. This is really important. Uh, and then he says a line where it says, I'm an American. 
Um, and she just loses it because she's probably had to deal with this a lot. Yeah. Uh, and when you're at that point in the story as a reader, you're like, yes, this person <laughs> on the other end of the phone, they deserve to be like hung up on. Like she is right, yes. I and mean, then at the very end of the chapter, in the end of the book, yeah, um, it turns out that the guy who is calling her is running for his life because he is going to be shot. He has somebody else's phone and he has a credit card and he could, if he can get this phone to work. He can call the boat to come rescue him and save his life, which is the plan that's all been set up. But he can't get through the call center. And what he's actually saying is he's not trying to get this attention specifically because he's an American and Americans deserve things. He's saying it because he's an American political prisoner, I think is the line. Where um, he is in a circumstance where his life is in jeopardy. And that's the part she misses because she's on the other line. Yeah. No, it was yeah. a really interesting. He gets, Although, he gets cut off even here, but yeah, he's, he's leading into an American political. Yeah, prisoner, this is the second time he said that. Where uh, before he's basically repeating himself. He's saying, "I'm an American political prisoner in an armed conflict overseas. I need help." Ah, right. Hmm. Interesting. Oh, right. He says that, and he didn't get connected. Yeah. 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 Why did I see? For some reason, I thought he was the guy. I did not pick up that the American lost his hand. So that's well, because what really he didn't in on. previous chapters. Right. That's the difference. See, this was, that's what really confused me, because the only person I saw that definitively lost their hand was the person with the plastic gun. And yeah. So then I'm like, well, why is he on a beach, and why is his wrong hand the one that's missing? <laughs> yeah. It's the wrong character. Oh, man, I'm embarrassed. Okay. No, it's okay. <laughs> it is, that, that is confusing. And I had a hard time. I think uh, the other one that really threw me up was... The guy who ultimately did get his hand shot off, his ex-girlfriend is the gecko. Uh, his ex-wife is the gecko's girlfriend, maybe. That yeah, I'm still not sure. I get that. I thought she was. I thought his ex-girlfriend was the gecko. No, the gecko hired the guy with and... the mustache to kill him. Oh. But it was the. No, 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 no. It was no, it was the, it, it was the yes, ex-wife right. hired the guy right. with the mustache to kill him, and he thought that it was the gecko who had hired the guy with the mustache. But I think the gecko was his ex-girlfriend? No, because why would they I don't think the same person? They, they, were, they, they knew oh, each other. Oh, yeah, yeah. They were, yeah, that's right. They were partners, and they weren't partners. He also had an ex-wife, and his ex-wife was the one who hired the assassin. He thought it was the gecko who hired Oh, I did not pick up on them being ex-partners. Because I, um, I know at some that, point yeah, they did mention an ex-partner for the gecko. But yeah, so there is a lot going on in this book, for sure. And it it does take a while, I think, with the complexities in the structure, with the complexities in the chronology and the changing of the style. There are a few subtleties Mm -hmm. that I think Ryan did write into here that it is hard. Okay, we have 10 minutes. Uh Uh-oh. Okay. Um, Any final thoughts on this book? Uh, I thought it was super cool. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, really interesting experiment in cartooning. Yeah, I, I think if you're looking for a very modern, like, cutting-edge book, pick this up, and it's on Comixology, really cheap. Uh, take the plunge. Get it now. Okay, so you're recommending it? Yeah. Uh, would you recommend that? Absolutely. Angela? Yeah, I'd recommend it to uh, advanced comic readers, perhaps. But like <laughs> you said, uh, people who are really interested in what is coming next for this form. Okay. Definitely. Yeah, I would recommend it to people who enjoy reading comics. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna go with the same. Like, if you if you have read a webcomic ever and you enjoyed it, read this one. <laughs>
Um, okay, so shoutouts. Uh, thank you to Ryan Estrada and uh, company for this wonderful book we all got to read. Um, it is available on the internet. Google it. Uh, or look on Comixology. Um, and do we have, let's do shoutouts really quick. Sure. Mari Internum by Dershing Helmer is a webcomic that I have been crushing on super hardcore and it's amazing. And I can't wait till it comes out in trade so I can read it a hundred times in a row. You stole my answer. Oh, <laughs> snap. I wrote that down. I even have proof right there. Oh, right man. <laughs> All right. You, 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 they're verified proof. All right. Um, I just picked up um, Island, the comics anthology oh, yeah. uh, magazine organized by um, Brennan Graham. Who is uh, who has a feature in Broken Telephone? He's drawn in as the air marshal. Yeah, what? he's the air marshal. He, air, the he, is, he is air marshal Mathers. That's right. Oh. oh, I'll have to go back and look for that. That's oh, speaking of uh, characters, there's like three characters in this story who are in other Ryan Estrada comics. Oh, funny. But mm-hmm. you're going to have to find them because we're out of time. Yeah. No, that's okay. I would say that, yeah, I'm going to do a... A monthly shout out. I will also go shout out for Island as well. So we'll just do uh, two for four. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, all right. So next episode, we are going to be reviewing uh, Mail Order Bride by Mark Calisnico. So find a copy of that now because this uh, that will be the next thing that you listen to. It's at the VPL if you live in Vancouver. Okay. Um, all right. Do you want a website? Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm Jonathan Dalton. Uh, you can find me at lostcitycomics.com. Uh, I'm Angela Mellick. You can find my comics at wastedtalent.ca. I'm Kathleen Gross, and you can find my comics at uh, cagcomics.tumblr.com, which is K-A-G-C-O-M-I-X. And I'm Jeff Ellis. You can find my work at jeff-ellis.ca. And you can also pick up Teaching with Japan Volume 1 on Comicsology while you're buying Broken Telephone. The Trade Waiters is presented by Cloudscape Comics. We'd like to thank the Vancouver Public Library for letting us record in their Inspiration Lab and Sloop for the music. You can find us at www.cloudscapecomics.com. <laughs> okay. Yay, we're done. Yay! Yay.